Welcome to the Complexity Premier Podcast. I'm Yi An Cheng, Portfolio Management Director at Coolabar Capital. Today's special episode is an audible version of a recent research paper on forecasting the housing boom, authored by Kieran Davies, Coolabar's Chief Macro Strategist. Here, Kieran replicates one of the RBA's internal models on the Australian housing market and finds that house prices are expected to appreciate by about 25% over the next few years. All charts and figures that Kieran refers to within the paper can be found on our website, coolabarcapital.com, within the latest news section. Over to you, Kieran. The overview of the paper is... Like nearly every other advanced economy, Australian house prices increased during the pandemic. This was a marked break from the large decline seen in past recessions. Admittedly, the pandemic was different in that interest rates were relatively low leading into the outbreak, but the striking resilience of prices stands as testament to the unprecedented and immediate easing of fiscal and monetary policy, particularly the success of the JobKeeper wage subsidy in limiting the rise in unemployment and banks deferring mortgage repayments for stressed homeowners. With house prices picking up after languishing over recent years, Coolabar Capital Investments, or CCI for short, has applied the Reserve Bank of Australia's groundbreaking model of the housing market that was developed by Peter Chilp and Trent Saunders to produce internally consistent forecasts for the next few years. The model, which allows for feedback between construction, rents, vacancies and prices, points to a large gain in prices of around 25% through to the end of 2023, driven by low interest rates. This is consistent with the forecasts previously released by CCI's Chief Investment Officer, Christopher Joy. Rising house prices and low interest rates should underpin a similar gain in real residential investment, although rents are expected to be weak given a relatively high vacancy rate. The model estimates how the housing market will behave on the basis of past relationships where CCI has calculated margins of error around the model's predictions based on past forecast errors. The estimated margins of error are wide. This is not surprising given the volatility of house prices and rents. Clearly though, the pandemic has created significant additional uncertainty around the outlook, given entirely new developments, such as the closure of Australia's border and the move to working from home. That said, We believe that past behaviour provides a very useful starting point for considering the impact of any lasting changes from the outbreak. The RBA should take comfort from rising house prices because higher asset prices are a key part of the transmission mechanism for both conventional and unconventional monetary policy. The exception, of course, is QE in its current form, given banks do not offer long-term fixed-rate mortgages in Australia. While we expect that the RBA will keep policy loose until it achieves its economic objectives, there is always the risk that banks lower lending standards as the housing market recovers. And this would trigger a regulatory response that would challenge the model's forecasts. To date, though, regulators are only monitoring the situation given credit spreads for riskier mortgages remain unchanged and the RBA reports that lending standards remain conservative. A large rise in house prices would intensify concerns over affordability and inequality. Homes are very affordable insofar as debt servicing costs are very low thanks to ultra-cheap mortgage rates, but raising a deposit remains a barrier to entering the market and home ownership has trended lower for the first home buyer age group. Easy monetary policy actually reduces income inequality by lowering unemployment, but it can still add to wealth inequality 
and this reflects the very low homeownership amongst low-income households. CCI's view is that concerns over affordability and inequality are better addressed by the government via the tax transfer system. The other step that government can take is to address the long-standing inflexibility of the supply side of the housing market, which has seen low interest rates manifested in higher house prices more than the construction of new homes. House prices increased worldwide during the pandemic. As the global economy has rebounded from the worst of the pandemic, a common and unusual feature of the recovery has been faster growth in house prices. Prices have risen in almost every advanced economy, up about 7% in aggregate from pre-pandemic levels. This stands in stark contrast with past world recessions where rural house prices in the advanced economies and this is where we have adjusted by consumer prices to compare across periods of high and low inflation, have typically fallen by 9% from their peak to trough. The same holds true for Australia, with national house prices up 7% so far this year from pre-virus levels, even after dipping by about 1% at the worst point of the pandemic. In real terms, prices are up about 6% from prior to the pandemic, which contrasts with past recessions where the median peak to trough decline has been 15%. Even during the global financial crisis, which the Reserve Bank classes as a brief slowdown rather than a recession, real house prices in Australia fell by 9%. Unprecedented policy action supported the housing market during the pandemic. The resilience of prices during the pandemic stands as testament to an aggressive and generally unprecedented fiscal and monetary policy across the advanced economies with a critical role played by job retention schemes in many countries. In Australia's case, key policies to support the housing market included, first, a gigantic job retention scheme and a temporary increase in welfare payments. The JobKeeper wage subsidy was the largest single stimulus measure adopted by the Commonwealth, costing 7.5% of GDP at its peak last year. At its height, the Commonwealth subsidised more than 3.5 million workers, and that equates to about one-third of private sector employment, or about one-fifth of the private sector wages bill. The Commonwealth also temporarily increased welfare payments and relaxed job search requirements for people on unemployment benefits. The combined boost from these policies saw peaks in net business and net household cash flows of 8 and 14% of GDP last year, which compared with pre-pandemic levels of 0 and 2% respectively. Second, there were record low mortgage rates. The standard variable mortgage rate has fallen to 4.5%, which is the lowest rate in Australia since the 1950s. But the average rate on new loans for owner-occupiers has dropped to a record low 2.5% and 2.9% in the case of investors. Low mortgage rates have been underpinned by a record low cash rate of 0.1%, the Reserve Bank's term funding facility, and the three-year bond target of 0.1%. Third, there have been mortgage payment deferrals and a moratorium on rent increases and evictions for stressed households. Forced selling of homes was reduced by banks offering to defer mortgage repayments for stressed households. At the worst point of the pandemic, mortgages with some form of payment deferral peaked at 10% of the value of all home loans. Some state governments, such as New South Wales and Victoria, also temporarily restricted rent increases and evictions for stressed renters. Fourth, there was a government subsidy to encourage construction. 
The Commonwealth Home Builder Scheme has brought forward significant demand for new homes, mostly from first home buyers. And this has greatly reinforced the boost from ultra low interest rates, as well as state government incentives. And all at a low cost to the Commonwealth of less than $1 billion. For example, new loans to owner occupiers for the construction and purchase of new homes have roughly doubled from pre-pandemic levels to about 3.3% of GDP, which is the highest level in decades. Aside from these factors, another thing that is likely to help house prices was that interest rates across the advanced economies were falling from relatively low levels prior to the pandemic. This contrasts with the role played by high interest rates in triggering past recessions, either when a central bank engineered a recession to bring inflation under control, or rates were raised too high because of a policy mistake. The Reserve Bank housing market model points to sharply higher house prices. With Australian house prices picking up over the past year, CCI has updated and re-estimated the innovative Saunders-Tulip model of the housing market to forecast prices over the next few years. This model was developed at the Reserve Bank by Peter Tulip, who is now Chief Economist at the Centre for Independent Studies, and Trent Saunders, who is now Principal Economist at the Queensland Treasury Corporation. The model incorporates earlier Reserve Bank work on house prices by Peter and Ryan Fox, who is an RBA economist. The model is used by the Reserve Bank to analyse the relationship between interest rates, construction, rents and house prices. CCI has used it to calculate internally consistent forecasts that allow for feedback between quantities and prices. The model contrasts with the usual academic approach of estimating house prices using a single equation and provides a richer detail on the housing market than the Reserve Bank's own Martin macroeconomic model. Focusing on house prices, the model embeds a long-run relationship between real house prices and the ratio of real rent to the user cost of housing, where the user cost captures the cost of owning a home. That is, interest payments, as well as the various running costs, less the expected capital appreciation on the home. This means that house prices adjust over the long term to keep the cost of owning a home close to the cost of renting. In the short term, the model also allows for a gradual adjustment of prices to this long-run equilibrium, as well as the momentum in house prices and the short-run impact of real interest rates. In estimating the model, some inputs, such as household income, working age population and inflation, they're driven by past trends. While the unemployment rate is determined by an Oaken's law relationship with income, in using the model to forecast house prices, we overrode these estimates with forecasts from the Reserve Bank's latest statement on monetary policy and the Commonwealth's latest update. Interest rates were based on market pricing, which at the end of last year was for the yield curve to remain near zero out to three years. On this basis, the model points to, firstly, stronger house prices. There is a strong incentive to own a home with low expected mortgage rates. This reflects market pricing of low interest rates over the next few years and holds down the user cost of capital, such that national house prices are forecast to increase by about 8% over the course of 2021, about 9% over 2022, and about 7% over 2023. And that gives a cumulative gain of about 25%. Secondly, stronger residential investment. 
Real housing construction is expected to rise by a similar amount of 26% over three years, although the gain is more front-loaded, with a forecast increase of about 17% over the course of 2021, roughly 5% over 2022, and about 2% over 2023. Higher investment reflects the incentive of rising house prices and low mortgage rates. Thirdly, weaker rent. Rents are forecast to continue falling after dropping 1% over 2020. Rents are expected to decline by about 1% over 2021, and the same again in 2022, as the vacancy rate remains relatively high, peaking at 3.8% given the weakness in the working age population. Rents are then expected to fall by half a percent over 2023, before broadly stabilising the following year. Of these forecasts, the rent and vacancy rate estimates appear pessimistic given survey data are showing a pickup in advertised rents, more so for houses than apartments. That said, the relationship between advertised vacancies and rents for the stock of all rental properties is very loose. In contrast, the forecast increase in house prices is on track, with national prices up over 3.5% in Q1 2021, and five capital city prices about 0.5% in higher in Q2 today. There are key uncertainties around the Reserve Bank's model's predictions. Tulip and Saunders discussed the limitations of their model in the research discussion paper that they published, but there are important risks worth emphasising. The first is that the closure of the international border has caused the working age population to stall for the first time in over a century. In our analysis, we assume that the population will grow in line with the Commonwealth Government's forecasts that show an eventual resumption of growth when Australia's border is reopened. The model then lets the vacancy rate, and hence rents, react as if they have in the past. However, past experience may not be a reliable guide given the closure of the border is unprecedented in peacetime. A second uncertainty relates to the role of investors in the housing market. The model is based on the experience of owner-occupiers, whereas investors account for about 30% of the private sector housing stock. Note though that the line between private and public housing is somewhat blurred given that about half of private renters receive modest government rent assistance. The range of mortgage rates shows that banks increased the credit premium charged to investors in 2017, when the spread between investor and owner-occupier mortgage rates nearly doubled to about 60 basis points, although the spread has been stable since that time. A third related uncertainty concerns the lending standards, which are not incorporated into the Reserve Bank's model. The Australian Prudential Regulation Authority took a number of steps from 2014 to 2017 that curbed lending to investors and interest-only loans. In APRA's review of these measures, the authority concluded that they led to a marked strengthening in residential mortgage standards and improvements in the risk profile of mortgage lending. Since that time, lending standards have remained conservative, with the Reserve Bank noting that Mortgage lending standards are largely unchanged, but there has been some unwinding of the slight tightening in lending conditions early in the pandemic. Measuring uncertainty around the outlook for house prices and rents. Mindful of these risks, CCI calculated simple margins of error around the forecast for house prices and rents to convey the overall uncertainty around the model's predictions, with the uncertainty reflects. One, the difficulty in modelling the relationships in the housing market, 
Two, factors outside the scope of the model that influence the market, such as the above-mentioned role of investors and credit conditions. And three, the imprecision of forecast inputs, such as relying on market pricing as a guide to the outlook for interest rates. The margins of error, or confidence intervals, were proxied by the models plus or minus one root mean squared errors calculated for forecasts out for three years. The root mean squared errors were based on quasi-real-time forecasts over the period from 2014 to now. Assuming that the forecast errors are normally distributed, house prices and rents should end up within their respective ranges about two-thirds of the time. On this basis, we estimated that the plus or minus one root mean squared error ranges around house prices and rents are First, house prices are forecast to increase by 8% over 2021, where the range is for an increase of 1% to 15%. Then they're expected to, to increase by a cumulative 17% through to the end of 2022, with a range of 9 to 26%, and by a total of 25% through to the end of 2023, with a range of 14 to 36%. Second, Rents are forecast to fall by 1% over 2021, with a range of minus 2% to zero, then fall by a total of 2% through to the end of 2022, with a range of minus 5 to an increase of 1%, and by the same total of 2% through to the end of 2023, with a range of minus 7 to an increase of 2%. These ranges are large, this is not surprising considering that house prices and rents are volatile. For example, the standard deviation of annual growth in house prices over recent decades is nearly 7.5%, while the standard deviation of growth in rents is almost 3.5%. By way of comparison, the volatility of growth in other economic indicators over the same period is much less. Less than 2% for employment, 2% for real GDP, and just under 3% for the headline CPI. Regulators will take action if banks relax credit standards as prices strengthen. The recovery in house prices to date is a reassuring development for the Reserve Bank and that higher house prices signal that policy is working. This is because higher asset prices are a key part of the transmission mechanism of both conventional and unconventional monetary policy. The exception is that quantitative easing in its current form is different because the Reserve Bank is buying long-dated government bonds and there are very few fixed-rate mortgages with a term of more than four years in Australia. Now put another way, if prices had fallen sharply in line with past recessions, this would have delayed the already long time it would likely take for the Reserve Bank to achieve its employment and inflation objectives. With prices continuing to increase, CCI's expectation is that the Reserve Bank would anticipate much the same gain as the model is forecasting over the next few years. Although the Reserve Bank has been clear in its forward guidance that policy will remain accommodative for several years until it meets its economic goals, there is some risk of rate rises starting sooner than expected. This is a tension evident in recent market pricing. CCI's base case is, however, that policy will need to remain accommodative for an extended period, given that history shows that it has been very difficult to achieve full employment in recent decades. Another risk is that banks reduce lending standards as the housing market strengthens, which would trigger a regulatory response. 
The above mentioned regulatory controls imposed in the late 2010s restrained investor and interest only lending and contributed to the pre-pandemic decline in house prices. While the Council of Financial Regulators is closely monitoring the housing market, the Reserve Bank has said that lending standards remain conservative, while on our calculation, credit spreads on riskier mortgages remain unchanged. There has been a pickup in high loan to valuation ratio lending, but this is to be expected given the surge in demand from first home buyers who normally have a small deposit. Although some commentators point to a more pressing need for regulatory intervention based on the New Zealand experience, New Zealand's housing market is very different, with strong investor-led growth in debt rapidly propelling house prices to an all-time high during the pandemic. This has triggered a regulatory response from the Reserve Bank of New Zealand, with the New Zealand government also taking action to restrain investor lending and improve housing affordability. In contrast, the starting point for Australia is markedly different. Even with the gain during the pandemic, real house prices are yet to surpass the peak reached in 2017. While credit growth locally is slowly lifting from depressed levels on strength in lending to owner occupiers, not investors. Inequality and affordability concerns are better addressed by government. Separate to the risk that lenders relax lending standards as the housing market strengthens, Double-digit gains in house prices should intensify the ongoing debate over the impact of easy monetary policy on housing affordability and inequality. Housing is very affordable as measured by the serviceability of a mortgage, and that's because of ultra-low interest rates. But the time takes to raise a deposit remains a key barrier to entry. That is, on a simple calculation, it takes more than two years for a household on an average income to raise the 10% deposit on an average priced home. This is near the maximum time taken to raise a deposit in the past couple of decades and is likely a factor behind the pronounced trend decline in home ownership for the first home buyer age group. That's noting that the aggregate home ownership has drifted a little lower where the ageing of the population has mitigated the decline. As for inequality, easy monetary policy strongly reduces income inequality by boosting employment and reducing unemployment. However, higher house prices can increase wealth inequality, where inequality is driven by low home ownership amongst low income and low resource households. Superannuation has actually been the largest contributor to the average gain in real wealth per household over the past 10 years, contributing about 10 percentage points of the 20% increase in total net worth. Housing has been a close second, contributing about 8 percentage points net of mortgages. The family home contributed about a net seven percentage points to growth, with investment properties adding approximately a net two percentage points. In CCI's view, concerns about housing affordability and wealth inequality are better addressed by government via taxes and transfers, rather than by modifying monetary policy. The other important related issue that can be addressed by government is the inflexible supply side of the housing market, where shocks to the housing market end up more in higher house prices than the construction of new homes. The supply side inflexibility is clear from the extremely low price elasticity of the housing stock in Australia, something that was first documented in 2003 by Chris Joy and other researchers. For example, the Australian Housing and Urban Research Institute which advises the Commonwealth Government on the housing market, 
estimated that a 1% increase in real house prices would underpin an increase in the stock of housing by only 0.1%. This is the same elasticity as implied by the Reserve Bank model. Although work led by University of New South Wales academic Glenn Otto estimated modestly higher elasticities of 03 to 0.4% for New South Wales. Such an inflexible supply side of the housing market is similar to the housing markets of European advanced economies. Although the difference is that Australia's population has historically grown at nearly the fastest rate in all the developed markets. As the government's advisor put it, as Australia's population is typically increasing at 1% or more per annum, the elasticity estimate suggests that all else constant, we require large increases in real house prices in order to even meet modest increases in housing demand. This means that the impact of positive shocks to house prices such as lower interest rates, end up greatly magnified by a sclerotic supply response. That's the end of the paper and end of the podcast. Thank you very much for taking the time to listen. This podcast does not provide financial advice. It is not an invitation to invest in any financial product and the information in it should not be relied on for any decisions. All views expressed represent the personal opinions of the speaker and do not represent the view of any other party. If this recording contains reference to any financial products, that reference does not constitute advice or a recommendation and should not be relied upon. Listeners in Australia are encouraged to visit the moneysmart.gov.au website to obtain information regarding financial advice and investments.